You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. Let me right away uh, thank David for his warm welcome uh, tonight. It's always good to be involved with the congregations of the Comfort and Union Road. I found it very strange tonight having to drive beyond Belfast. I thought maybe the world had ended last year. Uh, not having been able to go beyond Belfast before, so I enjoyed the, the, the trip up tonight. But it's lovely to be here, and I pray that God, His presence, we already know, and that He will speak to us through His Word this evening. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, may the preached Word lead the hearts of young and old to respond in awe and wonder as we find comfort in your sovereignty. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want us to take as our text 1 Kings 20 and verse 28. It says this, And the man of God came near and said to the king of Israel, Thus says the Lord, Because the Arameans have said, The Lord is a God of the hills, but he's not a God of the valleys. Therefore, I will give all this great multitude into your hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Let's read it again. The man of God came near and said to the king of Israel, Thus says the Lord, Because the Arameans have said, The Lord is a God of the hills, but he's not a God of the valleys. Therefore, I will give all this great multitude into your hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord. The Arameans had just been defeated by the Israelites. And this victory has been achieved by a small number of men over a vast host. So much was the difference that the Syrians or the Arameans were driven to the conclusion that there was something supernatural about the Israelites' victory. And it was so supernatural that they ascribed their defeat to the God of Israel. And they were right in doing so. They recognized that Israel's God had brought victory for his people. Now listen, if the Lord has prospered you in some way, if in your heart this evening there is peace and joy, if you have enjoyed some success in Christian service, be careful not to blow your own trumpet. Be careful not to claim that prosperity or that success in your service for God as being the result of something you did. Do not take the honor for it yourself. Never talk about yourself with reference to what you've done for God. Always render the glory to God, to whom it rightly belongs. And no matter what people say about you, about how great you are compared to others, never you boast about your own achievements. Always render the glory to God. The seeking of God's glory must always be your goal. You see, here's the danger. 
as you're aware from experience. The tendency of the human heart is always towards pride. And Satan is always eager to encourage us to rob God of his glory. And yet the truth is that nothing is more fatal to our peace of mind. Nothing is surer to provoke the Lord God than claiming the glory which belongs to God alone. We need to remember that. The scripture tells us the Lord your God is a jealous God. And he's jealous of this one thing more than any other, that he will not give his glory to another. He will not allow those whom he uses for his purposes to ascribe their victories to themselves. The Lord alone must be exalted. So whatever has been done by us to advance God's kingdom, the eternal God who used us must have the praise. So let's learn from these heathen Arameans. Yes, the Arameans ascribed their defeat to Jehovah, but they made a great mistake as to Jehovah's character because they supposed that Israel's God was just a puny local God, just like their own imaginary deities. You see, they had gods for the mountains and gods for the smaller hills and gods for the rivers and gods for their houses and gods for their fields and gods for their gardens. And they imagined the only living and true God, Jehovah, to be a God just like their idols. They truly dishonored God. And we need to make sure that we avoid committing such a sin. The sin of daring to make the one true God into a God who conforms to our own ideas. And this is what we often do. Instead of going to the scriptures to see what God is like, as he's revealed himself to us, we conjure up the sort of God, the kind of God we think he ought to be. And by doing so, we're no wiser than the person who makes a God out of mud or out of stone or out of wood. If we make a God after our own ideas, we have tried to comprehend the incomprehensible. We have limited the infinite. And in so doing, we are idolaters. For we have broken in spirit the first two commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. No one knows what God's character is except only as he has revealed himself to us. So do not be like the Arameans. Don't ever conceive of God according to the darkness of your own feeble and foolish mind. And actually, these Arameans, they uttered a blasphemy. They said, he is the God of the hills, but he's not a God of the valleys. And they paid a heavy price for stating such blasphemy. God was pleased to give his people, Israel, victory over them. 
Now, this wasn't the only time in which the blasphemies of the enemies of God resulted in good for the people of God. You might have supposed that God would have said, oh, listen, it doesn't matter to me what these ignorant heathens say. I mean, who cares about their lies about me? But remember, our God is a jealous God. He is always represented in Scripture as being protective of his own glory. And therefore, though Israel was guilty of disobeying God, and although Ahab, their king, was detestable, yet God determines that Ahab and Israel shall defeat Benadad and the Arameans because of what Arameans had said. So, Christian, if you're concerned about the state of Christ's church in our day, well, then you take encouragement from tonight's scripture. Look at what God did for his people because of the, the blasphemous words of his people's enemies. And all around us, unbelievers scoff at our God. But take heart. For if our God so wills, he can intervene because with every breath they disobey his laws. And all around us, unbelievers become more and more daring and insulting towards the truth of God. But do not be discouraged because of that. If our God so wills, they may provoke the Lord to such an extent that he may make his enemies know in some unforgettable way that there is a God in heaven. They're playing with fire. He may step in to avenge his chosen people, to establish further his own cause. So as we consider tonight this text, I really have only one lesson to teach. And the lesson is this. Just as the Arameans fell into a great and blasphemous sin by thinking that God was a God of the hills and not a God of the valleys, we may sin by thinking the same thing. So I want to spend the rest of our time together tonight warning you against imitating the Arameans by in any way limiting the Holy One of Israel, by limiting our Lord God. And I want to suggest to you some ways by which we can limit our God. First of all, we can limit our Lord by doubting the success of his purposes. Some older people will tell us that we're living in evil days, we're living in degenerate days, and they'll shake their heads, and they'll call this present age an age worse than any age that has gone before. And younger people may not agree. They still have some hope for future days, and they would say that there are many things which should make the Christian wear a smile and make the Christian happy in the hope of better times to come. In our day, the temptation is great to think that the gospel cannot conquer the world, that the truth of Jesus cannot spread in the midst of this thick darkness which surrounds us, that the gospel cause is falling into a desperate condition, and that maybe the victory that we've looked forward to will not come after all. 
May our Lord rebuke us if we think that way. Have we committed the sin of the Arameans? Have we thought our God to be the God of the hills and not the God of the valleys also? In days gone by, the church of God was persecuted beyond measure. You think of the emperors of Rome, determined to stamp out Christianity as though it were a disease, and they vowed to put an end to its very name. But the church of God triumphed over all opposition. We all believe that God was with his church in those tempestuous times. And yet we're apt to fear that the persecutions suffered by the church of Jesus Christ today and the cold contempt that is often poured upon Christian people in our day will prove too much for the faithful in our generation. My friend, the, the, the God who could help Christians be courageous in the amphitheater at Rome, the God who enabled them to die at the stake, is now being mistrusted by many believers in our day. We dare to suspect that our God will not gain the victory in the battle which he's calling you and I to fight for him in our homes and in our communities and in our universities and in work. I mean, shame on us. Do we really think that our God is a God of the hills but not a God of the valleys also? Do you really think that God cannot preserve his church in the midst of whatever particular trial we are asked to go through? I mean, chase away such a thought from your mind. Or maybe you're aware of some new heresy that has raised its head. It's creating havoc in the midst of the church of Jesus Christ. I can think back to the 90s when the, the so-called Toronto blessing was troubling Christ's church back then. Such heretical doctrines may disturb and may trouble you because whatever falsehood is being taught, it is meant to undermine the truth of the gospel. And maybe you're so fearful of the harm that such falsehoods will cause among the body of Christ, you're fearful that this is a falsehood that God's church may not be able to resist. Oh, my brother and sister in the Lord, take heart, take heart. For down through the centuries, God's people have had to face many a false doctrine. And I'm sure you've heard of the times when the very deity of Christ was almost universally denied, and yet the gospel lived on. And down through the centuries, every truth has in its turn been attacked, and yet the gospel is not dead, nor is its voice silenced. And let new heresies come. And let men attack the gospel with fresh errors. You remember that our God is the God of the valleys as well as the God of the hills. And he will dispose of them one by one as they arise. And they will go the way of all the other adversaries of the Lord. Because God's eternal truth shines on the same as ever. Oh yes, new, new modes of attack may threaten the church with new fears, but they do not really involve any new dangers because God, who knows all things, can meet the new adversary and can defeat him as he did his enemies of old. We may limit the Lord by doubting the success of his purposes. 
And secondly, we may limit the Lord by doubting the Lord's help. Sometimes we're brought into troubled times. And then we imagine that the Lord will not help us as he helped the Old and New Testament saints that we read of in the Bible. We can believe all about Abraham and Moses and David and Paul, but we can question whether the Lord will help us. We think of those Old Testament giants as, as the great hills. And we regard ourselves as the valleys. And we do not think that the Lord will help us as he did with his servants of old. Now, to think in that way, are we not limiting our God? Ought we not to have the same faith in God as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? I mean, Christian, never think that divine aid will not be given to you. The God of the patriarchs and the prophets and the apostles is our God. From generation to generation, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And our God still shows himself strong on behalf of those who trust in him. And there's no reason for you to doubt this fact. When we get into deep trouble, in whatever form it might take, we are apt not only to forget former days when our God has come to our aid, but to think that our God cannot be expected to come to our aid time and time again. We unbelievingly think, the Lord helped me when I found myself in trouble, but I cannot expect him to help me again. Why? My friend, has the Lord changed? Has the Lord changed because you are now older and maybe physically weaker? Is he weaker? No. I mean, how foolish we can be. We imagine that the difference of time alters the hope of divine deliverance. I mean, how can we be so foolish as to mistrust our God's unchangeable love? So do not get it into your head that, yes, God helped you when you were ill. But he can't be trusted now to help because your trouble is of a different kind. Christian, even when you're faced with a new set of troubles, your God will not fail you. Remember that whenever, whatever your difficulty is, it's not new to God. Do not think that your God who helped you yesterday will leave you today or tomorrow to flounder. Never. Or maybe you foolishly entertained the thought, well, I cannot go to God about my troubles because they're so ordinary. They're, they're so commonplace. They may be viewed by my God as being trivial. Oh, how could you ever think such a thing? God has told you that the very hairs of your head are all numbered. A hair of your head is not as important as the pumping of your heart. And yet each hair is important to God. You're told to cast all your care on him. Is he only the God of the hills, of the more difficult troubles that his people face? Is he not also the God of the valleys also? Is he not the God of the minor troubles too? You can go to your heavenly father about anything, about everything. And as you trust him with great troubles, be also sure you can rely upon him with the minor ones. 
So in trouble, cast all your burdens upon him. Truly, he's the God of the hills, but he's also the God of the valleys too. There's no circumstance into which a believer can fall, but God can and will deliver him out of it. So in the midst of troubles, commit yourself to God. Entertain no fears as to the all-sufficiency and faithfulness of your Lord. We may name it the Lord by doubting the success of his purposes, by doubting the help which the Lord will give to us. And thirdly, we may limit the Lord by doubting the power of the gospel. So someone sitting, listening to me tonight, who thinks they cannot be saved, is that your fear? There are people who limit the power of the gospel by supposing that it will only save certain sinners. No, my friend. Salvation is within your grasp. Is the Lord Jesus just the Savior of those who were once open and blatant, gross sinners, and not of someone like you? Is the very blackness of certain sins an aid to salvation? Impossible. My friend, the Savior who saves murderers and blasphemers also saves the morally upright. As we know, true conversion, in all cases, it's the work of God and consequently a display of his omnipotent power. The Lord presents the gospel to every creature and whosoever believes in Jesus, whether he's been a gross offender or someone like you, shall find salvation through the blood of the atonement, shall find salvation through faith in Christ alone. The Lord Jesus is not the Savior of a class of people. He's not the Savior of a certain type of person. His saving power is to all who believe. To men and women of all kinds, his grace is extended. To my unsaved friend, he's not the God of the hills only but also of the valleys. He saves a Saul of Tarsus, whom he strikes down on the Damascus road as a proud hill sinner, as it were. But he also saves Lydia, whose heart he opens to the truth as one of the dwellers in the valley, as it were. What do I mean? I mean that those who are gently brought to Jesus are as truly saved as those who are driven to Jesus by fierce thoughts of guilt and of the wrath to come. There's no sin in the whole catalogue that the blood of Jesus cannot wash away. And there's also a lesson here for someone like me, the preacher of the gospel. No preacher can ever regard a soul as being hopeless. The preacher may not, must not fall into the sin of the Arameans. The preacher's got to remember that his God is the God of the hills and the valleys. And our business is to preach the gospel to every sinner, no matter their background. And when doing so, believe that the gospel in the hands of the Holy Spirit has an omnipotent power to transform every life yours included. 
I believe that. I believe that with all my heart. I believe that you, my unsaved friend, can be saved where you sit tonight if you'd only believe for salvation in the Lord Jesus. We may limit the Lord by doubting the success of his purposes. We may limit the Lord by doubting the help which the Lord will give to us, by doubting the power of the gospel. But finally, we may limit the Lord by doubting his power for service. If you're a believer, then you will know that you're commanded to serve your Lord, to work for his kingdom. But so often we find reasons, we find excuses for not being obedient. And one such excuse is to allow ourselves to think that God will not equip us for serving him. We will convince ourselves that the gifts and the talents which our God has given to us are not sufficient for what he's asked us to do. Now, this may well be true, but our lack of gifts does not prevent our being used of the Lord for his purposes. You see, our God is the God of the many gifted person, but he's also the God of the one talented person who seeks to glorify him. He's the God of the hills and the God of the valleys. And maybe your excuse for not witnessing has been, well, you know, I'm very shy. I have a very timid personality. Well, my friend, that's not a very good excuse. Is God only the God of the confident? Is God only the God of the bold? Is God's grace only given to the confident and outgoing? Is God not the God of the quiet personality also? Of course he is. So stop using thoughts of your shyness or your quiet personality as a reason for not witnessing. Or maybe you've been using this thought as an excuse for keeping quiet about your faith in the Lord Jesus. Every time your Lord has presented you with a job to do, with some task that he wants you to perform, you've turned away from doing it by saying, but that task is too difficult for me to do. I don't have the ability to carry out that particular task. Well, surely, my friend, you need to remember that your God is strong, that your God is the God who performs great exploits, that to your God all things are easy, that your God is not a God of the hills, but a God also of the valleys. In other words, no matter what job God calls you to do for him, once God convinces you that you're the one to do the job, that you're the one he desires to perform this task, Remember, it's the God of the hills and the valleys who is sending you out in his name. Therefore, fear no task. Fear no person as you perform that task when you're convinced that your Lord has called you to work for him. Convinced of that call from him, there's no reason for trembling. There's no reason for being fearful. If God has sent you, then God is with you, and why should you fear? 
if you give yourself up to God entirely, desiring that he should use every atom of you exactly as he pleases and where he pleases, there can be no excuse, there can be no cause for fear because your God will lead the way. Think of it. Was God the Father by your side? Was God the Son by your side? Was God the Holy Spirit in your heart? If God sends you to prophesy the dry bones with Ezekiel, if he sends you to preach to the Ninevites with Jonah, he will be with you in either case. As the servant of the triune God, God can use you mightily. Oh, my friends, God's lesson for his people is this. As you approach a new week, he wants you to rest in the God of the hills and in the God of the valleys. He wants you as a believer to rest in the one whose purposes will be fulfilled, to rest in the one who will be your helper in every time of trouble, to rest in the one who through the power of the gospel will continue to add to his kingdom to rest upon the one who will give power to you for service. He wants you to glory in him forever and ever. And God's lesson for the unsaved tonight is this, that the one who is the God of the hills is the God of the valleys. And if you remain unsaved, you're going to face the coming judgment of such a holy, of such a sovereign God, and you will be cast from his presence forever. He's the God both of the hills and the valleys, and no unforgiven sinner shall escape his justice. If you do not believe in Christ, you'll be lost no matter who you are. If you trust in Christ tonight, you shall be saved no matter who you are. God grant that he will give to you grace tonight to believe and to believe even right now. Tonight we've been worshiping the God of the hills and the God of the valleys. We've been worshiping together the sovereign Lord. And with this sovereign Lord, we enter a new week knowing that our great sovereign God leads the way. Let's pray together. Sovereign Lord, remind your people that you are Lord. And may we leave tonight, may we rise from our seats tonight, encouraged by what we've heard, trusting you for the plan you have for us in the week to come. And jealous God, show us the unrepentant, show the unrepentant the need for them to be saved. Grant the saving grace to an awakened soul that they may enter this new week forgiven, saved, a willing servant of the King of kings and Lord of lords, a willing servant of the God of the hills 
of valleys. In the Savior's name we pray. Amen. Thank you.